0: dating method, and all those things are very important. I mean, we need to be ready and equipped to give answers. You know, certainly answers to the big questions of the age, the things that the world throws at us and the church to show us our Bible's not true, our Bible can't be trusted. So we do need to equip ourselves on those issues. But in this presentation, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. We're going to talk about worship. Now, you might ask yourself, what does the book of Genesis have to do with worship? Well, the answer is everything. What do we gather in God's house to do? Worship. Who do we gather to worship? God. Okay. If we gather here together to worship God, does it make sense that we would want to know something about God? I mean, if we worship God, is it, is it reasonable that we would want to know something about the character of this God we worship? Yeah. I mean, I think it's very reasonable. How does God reveal himself to us? How do we learn about God's character? Oh, you mean there's a place I can go read about God? Wow, who'd have guessed that? How about this? John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now think about this. All things were made by him. What does all mean? See, these are easy words. All means all. This is not heart. All means all. And without him was not anything made that was made. That's interesting. Just keep keep your mind right there, And Let's go to Colossians 1. For by him were all things what? Created. That are in heaven, that are in earth. Visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And by him all things consist. All things were created by him. Now, again, what does all mean? Okay, in God's word it says he's the one who created all things. But the vast majority of people in churches around the world accept and believe in evolution. Now, God, you know, gets a certain amount of credit because, as I said before, at one time in my life I was a theistic evolutionist. God created and used evolution. But, frankly, if evolution's true, what did God create? Because if evolution's true, everything created itself. The cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. That's what the secular world says. But how is that really any different from theistic evolution? You know, God, say, created the matter, and, then, and, and the wonderful process he used was evolution. You know, millions of years of death and suffering and carnage to achieve his purposes. So how is theistic evolution any, really, ultimately, any different than just a secularist view of evolution? The problem is this we have been taught to think like the world. The church, in effect, has been evolutionized. The problem is we're here to influence them. What's happened over the last hundred years is the culture's influenced the church. In God's word, it is clear, it is direct. He is the one who created all things. You know what the vast majority of people in churches around the country, at this moment, if you ask them, you know what they believe? This first there was nothing then it exploded and i've had so many people come to me and say well tommy i don't have a problem with the big bang as long as god did it and my and then my head wants to do a big bang i don't have a problem with the big bang as long as god did it i do you know why that's not what he said he did but people say we're going to take the world's view and we're going to weave it into the bible so i don't really have a problem with the big bang as You know, as long as God has something to do with it, of course, again, never mind the fact that he says he's the one who created all things. But if the Big Bang is true, you know what else is true? This. And, of course, that. I've had so many people say, well, you know, I believe in the Big Bang, but I don't believe that we evolved from ape-like creatures. You really can't have it both ways. If evolution is true, if the Big Bang is true, and all these and all the stars created themselves, and the nebulae created themselves, and the sun formed, and the planets around the sun formed themselves, and the Earth was a hot molten blob and it got covered by water, you really can't escape that. Because if if the Big Bang's true, the ultimate product of evolution is what us. So you're going to say evolution's true up to a point, and then God stepped in and did certain things. You got to show me that in Scripture. That's not what He said He did. And folks, if theistic evolution is true, if we're just the product of chemical reactions over millions of years, whether or not you want to sort of inject God into it on occasion, as I did at one point in my life, again, at that point, not really realize now inconsistent a way of looking at Scripture that was, then you got a really interesting question to answer. What is man? And you come to some really not particularly uplifting conclusions. If matter is all that matters, if chemical reactions over millions of years is true, when you answer this question, this is what you have to conclude. We are a curious accident in a backwater. We are just a bit of slime on the planet. Are you feeling better about yourselves yet? Well, I'm not done. This is going to get worse. I've got a quote in my files at the office from a Prominent evolutionist that said, human beings are just just, uh, rearranged pond scum. Yeah. We are a fortuitous cosmic afterthought, a tiny little twig on the enormously arborescent bush of life. Now, for a while, I really liked that one. I thought, well, that's kind of poetic. I said, well, Liz, you know, we're just a twig on the bush of life. And she said, Tommy, that just means you're rearranged pond scum. It didn't really, didn't really make me feel better. It didn't really encourage me too much. There's one quote that I've got in my files that basically says that human beings are parasites. We are parasites and we're causing irreparable harm and irreparable scars on Gaia, on Mother Earth. Human beings are parasites. The solution that this person had to the fact that we were doing irreparable harm to Mother Earth and we're just parasites, the solution they proposed is that 90% of the human population needs to be eradicated. Now, the question I have for the guy that wrote that article, are you in the 90% or the 10%? You see, human beings are just disposable. We're not special. We're you know, just sort of bigger cockroaches because we're causing harm to Mother Earth. Here's a quote from Richard Dawkins. You're going to love this one. We live in a universe which has no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Now, he'd be a blast to go get a pizza with, don't you think? About the second slice of pepperoni, you'd be running out of there screaming. But guess what? If we're just rearranged pond scum, this is absolutely correct. We're just a cosmic accident. If evolution's true, and we're just the result of chemicals bumping together over millions of years, we are, in effect, Mother Nature's science project. Folks, we're not just the result of chemicals bumping together over millions of years. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are made in the image of the living God. And I'm going to tell you this directly. The God I worship, the God I serve, is exactly who he claims to be. The one who created all things. Very first verse of Scripture. In the beginning, God what? Created the heaven and the earth. Do you think God thinks that's important? In the very first verse... An attribute of God's character is He's the one who created all things. He doesn't tell us once. He doesn't tell us twice. He tells us over and over and over, I'm the one who created all things. If evolution's true, you know what God is? He's a liar. And I say that with all fear and trembling of where I'm standing. But I'm just going to tell you that directly. If evolution's true, God's a liar. Because if evolution is true, he did not create all things. You've got to disconnect. The God I worship, the God I serve, is the one who did exactly what he said he did. And because Genesis 1-1 is real history, you know what else I know? I know that stone rolled away. I talk to a lot of young people at our youth conferences. And I love doing that. I love hanging out with the kids and answering their questions. But it's not uncommon that there'll be, you know, somebody in the the crowd, one of the youth, and they've got this troubled look on their face, and they'll, you know, ultimately work their way over to me or one of the other AIG staff, and we'll be talking to them, and they'll say something like, well, you know, I'm just really confused about this. You know, my pastor's a great guy. I love my pastor, and I love it when young people tell me that they love and respect their pastor. That just warms my heart. It really does, because I'm going to tell you, I'm almost 60 years old. I love my pastor. I mean, he's just a great guy. I mean, I got tons of respect for him. I do. But when a young person tells me I go, man, that's, that, that's great. And that young person be saying, but I'm troubled. You know, Dr. Mitchell, I just don't know what my pastor believes in the millions of years and believes in evolution and says you can believe anything you want to. and, and But he's such a great soul winner, and he's, out, he's just a worker for Jesus, and, and he's just a great Bible teacher. But I'm troubled because, you know, I hear what you folks are teaching and what you say, and, and, I, and it's not certainly my place to challenge my pastor. But Dr. Mitchell, help me with this. I read this, and to me, if Genesis 1-1 isn't real history, why should I believe John three sixteen? And I go, you just figured it out. And then their next question is, what do I do? Well, I said, well, you've already told me the main thing. You've told me how much you love and respect your pastor. You're concerned. So what you need to do is go sit down with your pastor and just share the concern you have. With that attitude, in love and concern, say, you know, I don't understand why these two, things, you know, why you can say this isn't history, but this is true. And I've had those conversations a lot. And you see, that's distressing to me, because if Genesis one one isn't true, why is John three sixteen true? And if we've said over and over and over, this is an issue the church just dismisses; it's a side issue. Nobody cares. Well, you know who understands and cares? The secular world gets it becomes clear now the whole justification of Jesus' life and death is predicated on the existence of Adam and the forbidden fruit he and Eve ate. Without the original sin, who needs to be redeemed? Without Adam's fall into a life of constant sin terminated by death, what purpose is there to Christianity? None. I mean, I've gone to so many humanist websites and secularist websites and things that we have to do and deal with in our ministry, and it it just astounds me that the secular world sees this theology so clearly and they understand the inconsistencies, and the church just doesn't get it. Jesus Christ is the last Adam. That makes absolutely no sense if there's no first Adam. I mean, I don't know how it can be any clearer than that. And again, this is coming from somebody who used to be a theistic evolutionist. That's all I was taught for years. But when I really started digging into God's word myself, I said, these two things don't go together. And again, this was years ago before there was as much material and literature and people who've done research as they have in the last you know, 30 years or so. I really struggle with this. But if Genesis 1 1 isn't history, why is John 3 16? You see, you've got a disconnect. John three twelve, if I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? You know what Tommy's you know paraphrase of this is? How are you gonna get the hard stuff if you don't get the easy stuff? I mean, we struggle and want to understand justification and sanctification, and we should. I mean, we should seek God's face. We should seek the Holy Spirit's guidance. We should be in the Word every day. But we struggle and strain to really deal with these very difficult heavenly things, and at the same time, we just dismiss what God tells us. It's like, okay, how are you going to get this hard stuff? I told you I created in six days. That's about as easy as it gets. And in case you missed it there in Exodus 2011, I tell you again, I created in six days. You don't get that and you want to understand the hard stuff? Why don't you try crawling before you try running? Either either all my word's true or none of it's true. You see, you've got to disconnect. And over and over and over again, he reveals an attribute to us. He's the one who created all things. And if you're an evolutionist, if you don't believe God's word is written, if you don't believe God's the one who created all things, I want you to tell me why he's worthy of your worship. The God I worship, the God I serve, is exactly who he claims to be. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. More than the who? The creator. That just keeps coming up time and time and time again, doesn't it? Ecclesiastes 12, remember thou who? The Creator. You think God thinks that's important? Over and over and over again, He tells us, and we still don't get it. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God Himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain, He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. He's the one who created the heavens. And this is what we've got, folks. We've got two accounts of origins. We've got God's account and we've got man's account. These two accounts do not agree. If one of them's right, the other one's what? You see, it's just directly that simple. Now, at the Creation Museum and all throughout our ministry at Answers in Genesis, we, have, we, we, we teach Bible history this way. We call it the seven C's of history. Creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ, cross, consummation. And folks, as much as we're able to, we need to preach Christ and the cross to a lost and dying world. The problem is you really can't understand the last three C's unless you understand the first four. You know where the gospel message really begins? It begins in Genesis. We talked about this yesterday. People out in the world actually think they're good. How do you convince somebody who thinks they're good that they're sinners in need of a savior? You have to go back to the beginning. You have to go back to the foundation. And I'll say it again. If Genesis isn't real history, God is a liar and thus not worthy of our worship. How does Genesis affect your worship? It establishes the foundation of who God says he is. He's the one who created all things. But you know what it also affects? It affects our evangelism. You see, we're out spreading the good news to a lost and dying world. You know what the problem is? That lost and dying world doesn't even know there's any bad news. They think they're good. The problem is man is lost. We need to be saved from our sin. Christ provides salvation. We're out preaching the good news to a world that does not understand there's any bad news. Let me give you a practical example of how this works. In Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching. Now, when Peter preached, was he very successful? Did many come to Christ? Yeah, absolutely. Who is he preaching to? The Jews. Did the Jews have a clue? Yes and no. I'm going to give them half credit. This is what I mean by that. The Jews recognized and understood God as creator. They knew man's disobedience broke this perfect creation, and they were sinners. They were looking forward to the Messiah. Now, that's where they didn't get it. But at least they had, if you want to call it a biblical foundation, or at least a foundation to understand the message. They recognized, acknowledged God as creator. Man's disobedience corrupted this creation They knew the Messiah was coming. And let me show you how this works. John 4, verses 25 and 26. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. Who was this woman? She was president of the local PTA, right? No. Hmm. She baked cookies for the Girl Scouts? No. No. Okay. Is it safe to say that this woman was in an unfortunate spiritual condition? I'm trying to be kind here. But even in this unfortunate spiritual circumstance, look what she says. I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. How did she know that? I don't think she was hanging out with, you know, with the priests and the scribes all the time. I don't think she was reading the scroll. I mean, how did she know? Maybe whether it was her, her upbringing or family, at least the cultural influence she had, she had a basis to at least acknowledge that. I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Look what she said later Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She had a basis to understand it. When Peter preached, he preached to the Jews. They had a biblical foundation, if you want to put it that way. But let's just move on. Let's go to Acts 17. Paul's preaching. Now, when Paul preached, was he very successful? Did many come to Christ? No, very few. No, who was he preaching to? The Greeks. Did the Greeks have a clue? Not a single one. Like we say back home, those Greeks, bless their hearts. You know, back where I come from, if you say somebody's name and then you say, you know, like, oh, Frank, bless his heart, that's the bottom of the barrel right there. You know, if it's really bad, it's Old Frank, you know, God love him. It, you know, it means you but anyway, those Greeks, bless their heart. They didn't have a clue. They were absolutely clueless. They didn't have the foundation to understand the message. You know what Paul had to do? He had to build that foundation. It's like, hey, okay, what's your name, Paul? Hey, guys, this guy, like, Paul's—he's gonna gonna tell us about a God. You gonna tell us about your God? Outstanding. What's the name of your God? Oh, you just—you don't matter about the name. Okay, he's gonna tell us. Y'all come on over here for a second. You'll tell us about your God. Okay, hang on a second. We got all these other gods we've heard about. Can uh, we we put your God on this shelf? Is this okay? No, you want a higher shelf? You gonna put him up here? Hey, he's gonna tell us about his God. You come on, Paul. Tell us about—tell us about your God. We, We got these other gods over here. You know what Paul said? Uh-uh. No, no. I'm talking about the one true God, the creator God, the one who created heaven and earth. Paul had to lay the foundation. I was at a seminary some years ago, and I was speaking on this subject, and I had one of the seminary professors come up to me and said, Well, Tommy, I just want to let you know Paul got it wrong. And I kind of I said, Excuse me, sir. I think I just had a mini stroke here. Um, could, you, could you repeat that? He looked at me and said, Tommy, Paul got it wrong. Now, you know what I did when he said that? I went, because I knew the lightning bolt wasn't going to hit me, but I might be in the splash zone, and it's kind of hard to get that. I had a seminary professor look me in the eye and tell me Paul got it wrong. Folks, Paul was a human being, a fallible man with feet of clay. You can take all the seminary professors I've ever met, they won't fit in Paul's shadow. I had this guy tell me that Paul, got, he said, I said, what are you talking? He said, well, Paul got all intellectual. He said he should have just been bold and preached Christ. You know, preached like Peter. If he would just been bold, many would come to Christ. He wasn't very successful. Very few people came to Christ when Paul preached. He, he just got all intellectual on him. He wasted his time. He should have been bold like Peter. Paul got it wrong. Folks, Paul not only got it right, he got it really right. He had an entirely different group of people he was bringing the message to. They didn't have a basis to understand. He had to lay the foundation. Peter did what he needed to do for the group of people he was bringing that message to. He preached boldly. Many came to Christ, and I praise God for that. Paul had an entirely different job and a different Audience, if you will, that he was bringing that message to. you know the church in this day and age has exactly the same problem. The church in this day and age is doing things exactly the way it did it 50 years ago. And again, when I say church, I mean global church. I don't mean any specific church, but the church, in, as, as a general rule, doing things the same way, with the same way we've always done it. It's not working. What's the problem? The problem is, the culture's changed. The church has changed and the culture's changed. You see, you've got a fundamental disconnect both directions. We've got a problem in the church because the church says, Lord, we love you. We acknowledge who you are. Thank you for being who you are. He says he's the one who created all things. And most people in the church believe in evolution. They reject the truth of God's word. Let me ask you something. How can you love Jesus without loving his word? Jesus is the word. There's a disconnect. So we've got a fundamental disconnect in our worship. Then we go out into the world and we say, hey, we want to tell you the good news. Jesus died for your sins. You know what the world says? What are you talking about? Jesus died for your sins. You know, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. What are you talking That's dumb. I'm a good person. No, no, no. We're all sinners. Here's the question. Oh, yeah? Why am I a sinner? Well, um, Well, you evolved from ape-like creatures over the last three to five million years, and um, when Adam sinned, it brought death, uh, but death had been here for millions of years. Uh, What do you say? I know there was a perfect creation. Man's disobedience brought death and corrupted this creation. Jesus Christ provides a way out. Why are you a sinner in need of a Savior? That makes sense if Genesis is history, if Genesis is exactly as written, which it is. God created a perfect creation. Man's disobedience brought death and corrupted that perfect creation. Why are we sinners in need of a Savior? There's your answer. If we evolved from ape-like creatures over the last three to five million years, would somebody please explain to me why I'm a sinner in need of a Savior? Because Adam, at whatever point along that evolutionary scale, whatever disobedience was committed death was already here you see you've got a disconnect and that disconnect runs this way with our worship and this way with our evangelism the church has changed and the culture's changed because our culture really has no biblical foundation at all anymore when i was little say when i was in third grade was, was, I, did, I, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Like I've mentioned before, I was saved when I was 17. I started attending church as a teenager. You know, some friends invited me. So when I was young, we never went to church. I had no idea what church was. The first Bible I ever held in my hand was a New Testament Psalms and Proverbs. You know, those little Bibles. You know who gave it to me? The superintendent of our county school district. Now, if that guy does that today, the SWAT team come and takes him away. But I was in a third-grade class. They brought these boxes. And I remember taking it home and showed it to my mother, and I said, "Mama, is this a good part of the Bible to like? And I had no idea what it was for. But even at that point in my life, if you said, Tommy, that what you just did was sinful, you know what I would have done? I'm sorry. Now, I didn't know what sin was. I knew sin was bad. You know, but, you know something sinful you shouldn't be doing. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to do it again. I didn't go to church. I just knew that just what the culture told us. I mean, sin was bad. You know what sin is today? Something cool. Wherever you can get away with. Our culture has fundamentally walked away from any biblical foundation. It's, it's happened in my lifetime. So the, way, uh, the old ways that we used to evangelize people it just doesn't work anymore. And not only does it not work, the church has not recognized that the church itself has fundamentally changed because it's been affected by the world's view of origins. The vast majority of churches will tell you this whole Genesis stuff, this crazy, it doesn't matter. It's a side issue. Nobody cares, folks. It's one of the issues of the church in this day and age. So if Genesis isn't true, i got two questions. Tell me about the God you worship. Tell me about the God we serve. And tell me how you answer the question that my neighbor, my friend, is a sinner in need of a Savior. You've got to disconnect. Because if they ask you, if you're witnessing, what's your answer going to be? Because our culture is fundamentally changed. It's no longer, and when I say Jews and Greeks, I mean it's a type. We no longer have that biblical foundation in the culture. Frankly, we no longer have that biblical foundation in the church. So, Tommy, you've been going on and on about this all weekend. You seriously going to tell me Genesis is real history? That's exactly what I'm going to tell you. You know why? Jesus said it was. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? You know what evolution says? Male and female came after millions of years. Jesus in one verse said, My word's true from the very first verse. Evolution can't be true. They were male and female from the beginning. John 5, For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? What do we give Moses credit for being the author of, you know, from an earthly standpoint? First five books of the Bible, first of which is Genesis. Jesus said, if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. On multiple occasions, Jesus Christ referred to Genesis as historical narrative. Folks, for the Christian, that should just settle the issue. You don't need DNA, you don't need rock layers, you don't need carbon 14. The words of our Lord and Savior should settle the issue. Genesis is direct historical narrative. And because Genesis 1 to 11 is true history, I'll tell you something else I know. I know Acts 4.12 is true. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Folks, we do what we do at Answers in Genesis because we want you to be able to stand boldly and unashamedly on the authority of the Word of God. We want to help equip you to deal with the questions of the age, the skeptical questions that they throw at us and our young people. All those things are important. But whatever we do, if it is not ultimately for Jesus Christ, then what are we doing it for?